Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Simon Peter's not soaring on wings as eagles. He's crashing and burning. I can understand Judas's betrayal. You know what I mean? Like Judas makes sense to us. He never loved the Lord. We learn all the time in the book of John. He's always like, he didn't care about the poor. He was a thief. He cared about himself. We totally get it. And so when Judas betrays the Lord, we're like, yeah, figures. People don't even name their dog Judas, right? (laughs) He never showed true devotion to Christ. But what makes today's story, I think the reason it's been told, it got told in the early church, it's being told right now on the other side of the world in Chinese, it's being told in Hindi and in Farsi and in Urdu, all around the world. People tell this, this story, it's so packed with imagery, it's got good nouns that translate sword, fire, cup, rooster. You know, it's got these good, right? The reason this captured, why has that captured our attention so much? Is because what we see here, is a truly devoted follower of Jesus crashing and burning. So I ask you again, do you have a theological category for that? The Bible seems to be full of people like this. King David was what? A man after God's own heart and yet had an affair with Bathsheba and eventually ordered her, Bathsheba's husband, murdered. And yet this is the guy the Holy Spirit anointed to write most of the Psalms. As Richard Tao put it, Life is a little more complicated than we would like it to be. You know, it was so simple. Remember the old westerns? It was easy, right? The good guys wore the white hat, right? And the bad guys, they wore the black hat. It was so easy. You could always tell who the good guys, which cowboys, based on the cowboy hat they wore. But as I look in the mirror, it seems I own an assortment of hats, got some white ones. Sure. Those are my church hats. And I've got some black hats. And and those are the ones that I I have to make sure nobody ever finds out about. And most days I just sort of wear beige. I just kind of want to blend in with the world. You know, don't even bother me about uh, evil or good. Uh, Just let me sort of blend in and, uh, and do that. And so what do we make of Christians who reach rock bottom? Like David, like Peter, or what if it's us? Now, lest I be accused of making light of sin in the life of a Christian, let me point out a couple things, and I'll use King David since I already brought him up. Number one, uh, this sin was out of David's character. It was not in line with his character. And number two, ask King David, you know, if you get the chance, hey, was it worth it? Like, God spared him from some of the consequences of his sin. I believe that, and God will do the same for you, but it it didn't mean he spared him from all the consequences. I believe those consequences were lessened because of God's mercy, but they weren't there. And if you ask David, hey, was it worth it, that sin, for all the, 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 the evil that was brought upon your life, he would say no, a thousand times no. Sin was a great regret of King David. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, how are you going to keep sinning after you're a Christian? How are you going to live in a pattern of sin? You're dead to sin. You're, you're no longer a slave to sin's power. My point is simply this. Here we have, in today's text, a Bible story where a sincere follower of Jesus, they don't get any more sincere than Peter, hits rock bottom. And it's worth looking at how he got there and what to do if maybe you are there. So, John chapter 18. I'll give you some images to hang these concepts on. We're going to start in verse 1. And I I told you, it's like a map full of symbols. 
at the risk of sounding like Map telling Dora the Explorer, first the sword of self-reliance, then the fire of denial, and that's how you get to rock bottom. <laughs> if, you, if you don't think that's funny or you can't figure out why, just ask a five-year-old, and they'll tell you in Spanish why that joke is hilarious. <laughs> anyway. But the symbols are, seriously, the sword, the fire, and the rooster. So here we go. We'll start with the sword. See, I try to, like, I was thinking, James, like, how do I get people to walk out of here and really remember it? And I thought those good concrete images, sword, fire, rooster, if the, you know? Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, so here we go. Set the scene. Jesus has gone into the Garden of Gethsemane, which is the Greek word that means olive press. Wow. Uh, I don't know if you want me to preach ten sermons or just one, but there's a sermon there. The name of the garden in which Jesus cries out in anguish before his father, let not, you know, don't, don't let, father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me, the cup of bearing his wrath. And he was in such anguish that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. And it was in that moment that he says, not my will, but yours be done. And the name of that garden of his soul's anguish was called the olive press. So there's some symbolism there in that. Uh, anyway, when he had finished praying, Jesus, right, this great high priestly prayer, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples, crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove. The other gospels tell us it's Gethsemane. And he and his disciples went into it. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. And so Judas came to the grove. And here we see this betrayal, guiding a detachment of soldiers, a, a cohort I realize I have these verses up here on the screen. I just failed to get the thing to the, uh, the clicker. If you want to follow along on the screen, you can. Um, otherwise, maybe in the meantime, if, if you'll just advance and for, uh, for me. Uh, yeah, verse 3. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers. Uh, yeah, that, that could have been as much as a thousand soldiers, or it could have been... Um, much less than that. Rome had all these soldiers on hand because, see, it was the Passover. And, uh, oh, good, thank you. And um, uh, because it's Passover, the, the Messiah fever is running really high, and they want to make sure they're ready to squash any rebellion, any, any talk of rebellion. And so that's why they had these uh, auxiliary soldiers on hand. And so, yeah, good. And so, verse 3. So Judas came, again, detachment of soldiers. Some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. Somebody thought to bring a light. They, they were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. That's where I want to hone in. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? I love this. Uh, these guys have showed up with, with torches and lanterns because they're going to have to chase all around the Kidron Valley looking for this Jesus. They haven't been able to find him. When he's alone, this is their chance. They can't go. Why, why don't they just go pick him up? He's always teaching publicly in the synagogues. Why don't, why don't they do that? The reason they can't do that is the crowds love him. You with me? Well, then just go pick him up when he's alone. The reason they can't do that is nobody knows where he goes when he's alone. They didn't have the paparazzi like we do now where Jesus is sort of live tweeting his location. There's no way to know, right? So you don't know. So the way you would find Jesus when he's not with all the crowds and alone would be someone from his inner circle would have to tell you exactly where he'd be. Judas. So Judas leads him there and they think he's going to, he's prepared for escape. And that's why I want to focus on that. Look at that. Knowing all that was going to happen to him. It looks like this situation has spun out of control, but it's just the opposite. Jesus is in absolute control. And so he went out and asked them. I love that. The interrogators come and Jesus is like, I got a question for you. 
Who is it you want? This is important. It's important to remember, Jesus was not a pathetic martyr buffeted by the ill winds of a cruel fate. In full knowledge of what was coming, he went out to them and he freely gave himself up. That's going to be important for this story about Christians who hit rock bottom. To remember that Jesus is in full control. That's it. That's the, that's the point I want to make. Full control. For Christians who are in rock bottom, Jesus is in full control. Now skip ahead to verse 8. Jesus answered. He had told him, I am he. The people fall down. And, and uh, he says, I told you I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This famous scene where Jesus right there. Well, verse 9, it says why he said that. This happened so the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I've not lost one of those you gave me. Jesus says several times, once in John 6, again in John 17, he's like, all these disciples, I haven't lost one. Judas, I didn't lose him. He was the, you know, he had his own stuff, the son of destruction. He was never uh, uh, really saved. He was never one of these true disciples. But of the ones you gave me, of the true disciples, I haven't lost a one. And here he's fulfilling that. He's saying, look, you can take me, and if it's me you want, right? Who, that's why, who do you want? You want me or you want all these guys? And they're like, we want you. He's like, fine. Then by your own words, look. Let these guys go. See what he's doing? Jesus is falling on the grenade for the disciples. He's saying, I'll take the hit. You guys go free. He's in absolute control. And then in this famous scene where Jesus is, I mean, look what he's doing. Take me, leave them. This act of grace, this act of you disciples, this is not your battle to fight. Famous scene. What does Simon Peter do? Is he okay with being an object of Jesus' grace? Instead, famous moment, then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. And the servant's name was Malchus, cutting off his right ear. A couple of the Gospels point out that it was his right ear. Uh, and, uh, uh, of course, th- this is a famous moment. I've, I've made much of this before, but <laughs> Peter did not try to, it's not like, hold still, like began like sawing off as a... But, uh, but rather, you know, he's fighting. There's a full moon. We know it's a full moon because it's Passover. And so uh, uh, on the lunar calendar, we know that it would have been a full moon. And uh, 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 it's clumsy, and there's all these people around, and Judas is there. And, and Peter just, you know, lashes out. Like, what do we do? There's a cohort of Roman soldiers. And so he, he reaches out. He uh, 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 slashes with this small sword, sort of like a, like maybe more like a dagger. And uh, Malchus ducks and instead just sort of clips his ear. Uh, he wasn't some sort of samurai ninja who's like, I got your ear. Look what I can do. Don't make me finish him. Uh, no, he, he just missed. I mean, Peter, this was attempted murder, you see. And Peter just missed. Uh, we learned from the other Gospels, of course, that Jesus healed Malchus. Um, and uh, two things are interesting to me about that. One is that uh, uh, if, if Peter had really just connected and his head had fallen off, wh- what a miracle that would have been. I mean, the ear's enough, but you're good. But... Uh, the second thing, and probably more important, and um, uh, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but at least it'll be quick. Uh, for people who wonder, uh, how can God use me? I'm not in ministry. I don't, do, I don't do ministry things. I work somewhere crazy, and it doesn't have anything to do with anything. God wants a witness everywhere. <clears throat> and I think part of the reason that Jesus healed Malchus's ear as a servant of the high priest is so that every time he went in to talk to Caiaphas, Caiaphas had to be reminded of Messiah Jesus. And don't you think eventually Caiaphas would have said, Malchus, when you come to me, could you approach from the left? God wants a witness everywhere. Wherever you work, whatever you do, 
He wants a witness everywhere. That doesn't have anything to do with the sermon. Uh, but there it is in verse 10, and I couldn't pass. Uh, okay, but, but back to the sermon. So he, uh, 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 why is he doing it? What's, what's with the sword? What's with the fighting? Our first symbol, the sword. What's going on here? Okay, <clears throat> earlier, remember, all the disciples courageously affirmed their devotion to Jesus. And Peter even says, I'll lay down my life for you. If everybody else hates on you and pieces out, I will be there. I will lay down my life for you. And here he's willing to prove it. His courage is admirable at first, but when you think about it, it represents a total misunderstanding. And it was totally pointless. Pointless for two reasons. Number one, Peter's little dagger was no match for the Roman cohort. It's one dagger and possibly as many as a thousand Roman soldiers. Uh, all, they all have swords, real pointy ones. <laughs> Number two, uh, Jesus had already stunned them with but a word. I skipped over that part, but there's this moment where Jesus says, I am he, and the Roman soldiers have to fall down because of the great power of Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus, it turns out, did not need Peter's protection. He could have summoned, he says elsewhere, 12 legions of angels had he wanted to be delivered He could have handled that just fine. That's the key point over and over, right? If Peter had been listening, he would have heard Jesus explain. He would be arrested. He would willingly surrender to his enemies. So here, instead of submission to God's ways, Peter is going to fight in man's way. He's going to fight his way out of this. When he's depressed, when he's in a dark place, he's going to fight his way out. To quote Warren Wearsby, he fought the wrong enemy, Peter used the wrong weapon, he had the wrong motive, and accomplished the wrong result. He was openly resisting the will of God and hindering the work that Jesus came to accomplish. And what was that work? Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Why? Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Over and over in the scriptures, we see the image of the cup. And the cup symbolizes God's wrath upon sin. Uh, over and over, you can, you can see that. These pagan nations, he's mixing up this cup and he's going to pour it out. Drink it to the dregs, right? God's wrath upon sin. And Jesus here is saying, shall I not drink that cup that the Father has given me? This, this, is the, this is the very same cup that other gospel writers record. He's been praying in the garden, let this cup pass from me. He's passed that prayer. This is the result of that. He knows, I'm going to do the Father's will. The bearing of God's wrath means that he was a propitiating sacrifice. A sacrifice of atonement. Let me be perfectly clear. He lived the life that we should have lived. And on the cross, Jesus died the death that you and I should have died. He died in our place. We should have borne the wrath of God for sin. We deserve that. He didn't deserve that. He was perfect. But God was pleased in Jesus to be that perfect, spotless sacrifice so that we could have the righteousness of God. We've already sang about it even today. You sang this very doctrine, whether or not you knew it. He became sin. Who knew no right? He, the Bible says God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Our sin laid upon Jesus, his righteousness given to us freely. I was sharing the gospel recently with a Jewish man. He was doing some work on the church that we rent from. And we had a, long, a, a, a lot of time to talk because he's working in this church and he's, you know... Um, a very practicing Jew. And he finally, you know, we had so many good conversations. And finally he asked me, he says, you know what the big thing is? Don't you guys, uh, 
don't you guys believe that we Jews killed Jesus? You know, don't, isn't that the big holdup that, we, that we, we're responsible for killing Jesus? And I said, well, you know, um, the, first of all, if you read, you know, the Jews certainly uh, uh, were, had a hand of guilt in that. And I think there was enough guilt to go around. The Romans, uh, the same thing. Uh, even his followers, Judas, uh, betrayed him. But I said, um, uh, theologically, I said, the Jews didn't kill Jesus. And the Romans didn't kill Jesus. I said, think about what happened on Passover. And he rehearsed with a great smile everything he knew about Passover. And I said, Jesus came to die for you and for me. Nobody took his life. He laid it down willingly. He was that, he was that Passover lamb. And just like the blood of the lamb was applied to the doorposts, and everyone who had that blood of the lamb... Their, they, their lives were spared. Jesus was that Passover lamb, and he died on Passover. Guy goes, I've never heard that before, but I just got chills. And I was like, I get chills too when I say it. I was like, bro, this doesn't sound like advice. This sounds like, here, I'm telling you some news. I'm telling you an announcement of what's been done, right? But Peter refused to come to terms, to come to God's terms on how the whole salvation thing works. And so he took salvation in his own hands. And when we take matters in our own hands, don't be surprised if we grab what our hand finds and usually it's a sword. Not letting the Lord do things his way. Sprinkle in a little arrogance. Remember his arrogance? Never will I forsake you. Oh, and also don't forget to add a dash of total prayerlessness. Remember what he was supposed to be doing all night with Jesus in the garden? Praying. You remember instead what he was doing? Right, napping, right? I can't blame him. I'm not throwing stones here. I would have done the same thing. But then, don't be surprised. When you're battling with the Lord, you're not doing it His way. You've got a little bit of arrogance, a little bit of prayerlessness. Then, in the moment of crisis, confusion, discouragement, what else would we, would we expect but self-reliance? He's operating not in the spirit, but in the flesh. And he thinks, I'm going to do it my way, and I will fight my way out of this. Your pastor, Linda... When she said, I'm not doing a very good job of explaining what she was doing a perfectly good job of explaining because she just like hit a tuning fork that resonated with everybody's heart. We've all felt that, you know. Um, when she, do you, she said those exact words. She said, in that moment of darkness, she said, what do we try? We, it's like we got to fight our way out. That's what the flesh does, right? He grabs the sword and he's like, I can't trust Jesus. I can't trust what's going on. I'm just going to bear down more. I'm going to fight. And in the flesh, he lashes out. And when he does, he's acting no different than the world does. Well, what, this is worldly. Look, hatred for enemies. Cut down those who hate you. Destroy those. Come at me, Malchus. Those who destroy you. But we got to destroy them before they destroy us. And he sinned. He hurt Malchus. And Jesus' last miracle before the cross, the Gospels tell us, was Jesus, Jesus healing Malchus's ear. So you can see with all this in mind how a very confused, hurt, and discouraged Peter could deny his master. Oh, what happens next? Well, probably they ran away. Uh, Jesus commanded Peter, put away your sword. And he gives him that uh, little mini sermon about, I've, I've got to drink this cup. And then it says the detachment of soldiers with its commander. I didn't put these up here. Just sort of the, the scene flashes back from Jesus with Annas uh, back and forth to uh, uh, Peter. But at any rate, what's going on? Maybe Peter and, and, and possibly John. We don't know who he was with. Most of us think it was John, but I can't prove it. But at any rate, they run off, I think. And then perhaps they think, well, you know, we, we, we should at least follow a little bit. And so Jesus has been led to this uh, courtyard of the high priest, probably, you know, Caiaphas was the high priest, but really, Anna, 
Moses said that the high priest position was for life, right? And so Annas was the high priest. The trouble is the Romans came in and said, we don't like him. We don't care what Moses says. He's not the high priest anymore. Now his son-in-laws are going to be high priests, Caiaphas or whatever. So the, 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 the Romans were like, Caiaphas is the high priest. But all the Jews were like, Caiaphas is just sort of a puppet on a string. Annas is our guy. That's why he's before Annas and the courtyard was shared with Caiaphas. So if you see like, which high priest? It, that's what's going on there. At any rate, uh, he makes it into this, this courtyard scene, and they're going to try him here in the middle of the night. And uh, John and Peter, according to verse 15, this is great. This, this is why I think it's John. Again, I, I don't know this. Simon, Peter, and another disciple. Again, I think it's John. could be anybody. Another disciple, were, doesn't really matter. We're following Jesus. And because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Simon Peter had to wait outside the door. And the other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. Does that make sense? Jesus uh, goes in. He's surrounded by this cohort. By then, there's servants milling around. It's the middle of the night. This Roman, these Roman soldiers going, when can we go back to our barracks? This guy was no threat at all. And all this stuff. John is, you know, in all the frantic, John or whoever <clears throat> makes it in with Jesus. And then he realizes, like, oh, I left Peter at the velvet rope. He goes back out to the bouncer. He's like, yo, yo, Pete's on the list. Can we get him? Yep. And so, right, it's cool because I know a guy who knows a guy. Whatever. They get in. And then they're all sort of in this courtyard and Jesus is off in the distance. Perhaps they can uh, see him or perhaps they will be able to see him when they move him from uh, this high priest's house to this one. But they're in this open courtyard. It's probably late March, uh, could be 40. You know, it's it's late. You know how it is early spring. It's a little chilly. So somebody lights a charcoal fire. John points out that it's not just a fire. It's a charcoal fire. So John and Peter are part of this 50 or 100 people milling around. It's after midnight. And then Peter looks up, uh, and on the way in, the servant girl, the, the bouncer there at the door, the girl with the clipboard, she's got a little headset, and she asks something so innocuous. The first temptation is so subtle. L- look at this. Look at what she asks. Almost jokingly, the Greek here expects the answer no, but you don't need to know Greek to know that. You just need to know English. Like, we do that all the time. We ask questions that expect the answer no. <laughs> Dude, you're not going... Be a good example. Uh, my wife does this a lot. You're not wearing that, are you? Right? She expects a very <laughs> particular answer. Right? Well, it's the same thing. You, you, you're not one of this man's disciples too, are you? Asked Peter. You see what I mean? It, this isn't even a temptation. This is not Caiaphas standing before with a sword poised at Peter's head going, <clears throat> Okay, Pete, yes or no? Are you with Jesus or not? And if you say you're with Jesus, you're going to die. Or we're going to crucify you and all that stuff. This is just a little layup, you know? This is just, just sort of shrug, stare at your feet. You know, if you're asked if you're a Christian, I mean, you don't actually believe all this stuff, do you? Let's just go on with the office party. You don't have to make a big scene, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, here we are. Come on, right? You're not one of these disciples too and maybe peter is thinking look i can't do jesus any good if she kicks me out here i can't do jesus any good if i'm dead remember i gotta fight you know he's still thinking i gotta take these guys down um and so he just sort of smiles and uh uh betrays his lord no no i'm not and it's so easy to justify that first lie but the problem is now peter for the rest of the story has a real problem he has now portrayed himself he's on record as an innocent bystander and so when the next challenge comes it's going to be very hard to reverse the course he has taken that's true for us too and so let's see what happens verse 18 it was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they'd made to keep warm peter also was standing with them warming himself uh, 
Sometimes you get yourself into a jam and you lie to get yourself out. You know, you either uh, fight your way out, but if that doesn't work, you deny your way out. You lie your way out. The trouble is once you start down that path, it's really tough to turn back. I'll show you. Sure enough, verse 25, just as he was getting to the fire, right? I mean, he's warming himself up. Simon Peter was standing there warming himself. I'm just an innocent bystander. He's planning his next move. He's scared. What are they going to do? Jesus has been in there a long time. Uh, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? The words hit Peter like an electric shock. Somehow she recognized him. How did she know him? No one knows, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter as long as she doesn't know his name. What mattered is somehow she had connected him with Jesus. So he had to think fast, and he instinctively blurts out, Nope, I am not. When he said it, his face, I imagine, was flushed. I imagine he could tell the servant girl there didn't believe him. As he stood around the fire, there's all these soldiers milling about. He noticed people began looking at him closely, and then too closely. You know how when people do a double take, you know, or you've done that to people. Hey, I, I know you. Oh, never met? Okay. Okay. Right. You know that? Uh, Ray Pritchard imagines it this way. Uh, uh, P- Peter knew that he was in real trouble. Talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. He's in the enemy camp warming himself around the enemy's fire. If he tried to leave now, that would arouse even more suspicion. But if he stayed, they might find him out. More time passed, more looks, more whispers directed at him. After about an hour, The scriptures tell us it appeared that Jesus' interview with the high priest was about over. The guards were going to and from the house, and the tempo picks up. Peter breathes a sigh of relief. Maybe he's going to get after, maybe he's going to get out of this after all. Maybe in the commotion, he's going to be able to slip out undetected. And it was just in that moment, one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the, uh oh, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off challenged him, not with the questioning tone of the servant girl, but a little more authority. Now, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Now, this question expects the answer, yes. Peter was trapped, and he knew it. This fellow had seen him with Jesus. Plus, he was plenty upset about what Peter had done to Malchus. And so he begins to do what? He begins to curse and swear, and again, Peter denied it. Now, John is very understated here. John assumes that you've read the other Gospels because he wrote his much later. He had possibly read at least one and and maybe more of the Gospels. And so he says, uh, again, Peter denied it. From the other Gospels, we know that Peter shouted a curse and a swear. This means not only he used foul language, but the point about swearing is he used an oath. As in something like, why don't you leave me alone? May God strike me dead if, that's big words, that's an oath. And when you take that, people believe that, okay, you know, we can trust him. Why? Because only a fool would shout out something like that. So he says, may God strike me dead if I've ever heard of this man, Jesus. Imagine. The the other gospels, we, we, we read more about that. And uh, the words just sort of came tumbling out. I think they are words born of fear and exhaustion. Words Peter hadn't used since his days as a fisherman. Meanwhile, what was Jesus doing? You know, I I, I didn't put it up here on the screen, but what, what, what was Jesus doing this whole time? It never hit me until this time going through John. Um, If you look back in verse 19, if you have a copy of your scriptures, you'll you'll have to use the paper version because I I don't have it up here. But uh, uh, if you look back, what was Jesus doing this whole time? In the very moments that Peter was denying him, meanwhile, it says the high priest questioned Jesus about two things. What were they? About his disciples and his teaching. And when he answers, he says, 
I've always spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogue's temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. And then they'll go off to something else. They ask him about his disciples and his teaching. And he answers them about his teaching and says nothing of the disciples. In the very moment that Peter was denying him, Jesus is protecting Peter. The, uh, the next verse is chilling, and it's the third and final symbol, and will be done. The sword, the fire, and the rooster. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. The rooster crowed, and Peter remembered. William Hendrickson, I have no idea who that is, but listen to what he says. This hidden memory, he says about the rooster crowing, this hidden memory. Sorry. So the rooster crows, and that reminds him. Jesus predicted this. I would deny him. It all comes crashing down. Here's how he words it. This hidden memory will pull the rope that will ring the bell of Peter's conscience. That's pretty good. Suddenly it all became clear how rash he'd been only hours earlier, how cocky he'd been, how confident of his own strength, sure of his own ability. And the sound of the rooster meant, Peter, I warned you this would happen and you didn't believe me. The rooster crowing is the moment of conviction. You have been found out. The rooster crowing is like when the prophet Nathan went to King David and David thought he was good to go. Everything had been covered up. Bathsheba, Uriah the Hittite, he's been killed. Tells him this little story about an evil man. David said, that man needs to be punished. And Nathan says, King, thou art the man. This was like the rooster crowing. This is like that moment when you have been found out. The rooster crow is a moment when you've got a big decision. What will this lead you to? Will you, when the rooster crows, what's Peter's next move? Does he continue with the sword? Continue with the lies? Maybe try to go atone for his sins? Or, or look, it led Judas. That kind of, I've been found out. What have I done? Where did it lead Judas? It led Judas to suicide. Where will it lead Peter? Will he continue with the lies, continue with the sword, continue with trying to self-justify himself? Or will it lead to total repentance, to stop running, stop fighting, stop lying? Peter, put away your sword and put away your lies. Just trust his word. Now, I believe that that rooster crowing is this, in a way, this dark moment. But I also believe it is a moment of great hope. Here's why. The rooster crowing shows, remember I said this in the beginning, now we've come full circle, shows Jesus is absolutely in control of everything. That rooster crowing shows Jesus' sovereignty. In other words, think of it, in the midst of all this weakness, this bleeding, he's been, Jesus has been beaten, he's been tied up, he's got a swollen jaw because the Bible says he got slapped in the face uh, even though they had no evidence or no reason to. Don't be fooled. This beaten Jesus with the swollen face, he is, in that moment, the rightful king of the whole universe. He has total authority. And it's not for one minute did he ever let go of that. He has dominion, if you will. Uh, uh, you remember in, the, remember in the very beginning with the first Adam? You know, the Bible sometimes calls Jesus the second Adam. Remember in the very beginning in the first Adam? God gave Adam and Eve some commands. Be fruitful and multiply. But he gave him another one. Remember, he said, before the fall, I'm not talking about like, don't eat from the tree and all that stuff. I'm talking about Genesis like one and two. In the very beginning, he gave him a command in Genesis one. He said, I want you to take dominion over the earth. 
And he said, I want you to take dominion over all living things. But he didn't say just all living things. He said, I want you to take dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air. Right? Now, I'm, I'm making way too much of this. And I know, forgive me, can't help it. The fish of the sea and the birds of the air. All Peter's ministry, he had seen over and over Jesus' total dominion of the fish of the sea, right? That's how they met. You guys catch any fish? No, nope. watch this. But now, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, clearly, right? I need a coin, need a coin, need a coin. Hand me that fish. Yep, here you go, in his mouth. What? Right, total dominion over the fish of the sea. And here, for the first time I could find, dominion over the fowl of the air, over the birds of the air. He's in absolute control of everything. If I've made too much of that, and I may have, forgive me because my point you still have to agree with. He is in absolute control of everything. That means, Peter, you can put away your sword, put away your lies, trust me. And that means when he heard that rooster crow, it means this. Jesus Christ knew about my rock bottom before I even went there. Jesus Christ knows of your rock bottom before you have even gone there. And loves you. The rooster crow is dominion, but what else does a rooster crow signify? Look, if you don't know anything about the Bible, I don't really know that my four-year-old knows this story. So if I just asked her, hey Katie, what does a rooster crowing mean? She wouldn't say, well clearly it means dominion. Think back to Genesis with me, Dad. It's... What does she think? It's a new day. It's a new day. It's a new day is dawning. God's timing is perfect. And a rooster crow is that moment when you come to a church service or you go somewhere and you're hit square in the face. I am sinning. I am fighting with the sword and lying with my words and lying with my life. And suddenly you come and the preacher's like, and you're like, man, I get it. This is hitting me in the face. This is me. This is conviction. So what are you going to do? It's either the death knell. I mean, this is either it, life over. And that's certainly one uh, a way to interpret this. Or, or there's another alternative. This could be the dawning of a new day. Luke adds one delicious detail that is impossible to preach on the sermon and leave out, I think. Luke twenty two sixty one says, And right after the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. That's a whole sermon there. I'll just move on. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This, these, these verses look really, really sad, but they are pregnant with hope. Then Peter remembered the word. Come on, if you're in rock bottom and you're faced with this conviction, remember the word. Remember the Lord has spoken to you. He knew about this. He didn't hate you. He didn't give up on you. And he went outside. He wept bitterly. This is the weeping of repentance. By this time, Jesus' face is black and blue. His eyes almost swollen shut. A trickle of blood flows down his lips. He can see Peter perfectly in the firelight and the full moon of Passover. Jesus can see him and he doesn't say a word. He looks at Peter, who has denied him for the third time. Everything Jesus predicted has happened. And it was not a look of anger. It was not... I told you so. It was a look of pure 
love and compassion. That's what broke Peter's heart at that moment. Here's Peter cursing and denying the Lord. And here's Jesus looking at him with such tenderness that Peter can do nothing but melt before his gaze. It was not the fear of punishment that turned Peter's heart that day. It was the revelation that at the point of his greatest failure, Jesus stood there with tenderness in his eyes and unaltered in his love for Peter. Now, that's it. That's when good, sincere followers of Jesus hit rock bottom. Uh, If your understanding of God's justification in your life is that basically when you get saved, when you get born again, that's your one get-out-of-jail-free card. If you mess up, you unfortunately don't get another. And you must then just sort of continue to live your life fear and insecurity and just try to clean up best you can, atone for your sins, I don't know, commit seppuku or something. Like do something that somehow you can... uh, Uh, overcome and good luck right but that's not the gospel that's not the gospel in the gospel we see good people sincere followers of Jesus Christ right Uh, you know what I mean sincerely following who are uh, confronted by this sin they are repentant And, of course, we see a warning not to let discouragement put you on a downward slide to denial. Yes. But it's also, this story is a sincere, is a call to every sincere believer who's felt he's failed God in some way. And it asks us, is the one who saved you in the first place any less able to restore you to himself today? Is his love for you today any less than it was yesterday before your denial or your rock bottom? You see? For those who feel the same shame and disappointment as Peter, that's the question that I think this text forces us to ask. Is the one who saved you in the first place any less able to restore you to himself today? If you don't like that, I will quote hip-hop artist Lecrae. If you get me, I know that you got me. But I'm so insecure, I can't believe that you'd want me. But then I heard you went out of your way to adopt me so you can have my all if you say you won't drop me. Or in Romans, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, If the cross and all of its scandal and abuse couldn't make Jesus give up on you, and it didn't, then nothing will. What can That's it. The, uh, the time is now for us to turn our attention to the Lord's table, which makes total sense. Your choices when you're faced with conviction is to continue to fight your way out or to continue to lie your way out. But in some way, you have to atone for your sins. The trouble is, if you take sin seriously, if your heart's been almost not hurt, but like when you read the story of Peter, if you're shaken by that, you go, what's Peter supposed to do? I mean, look, if if Peter is left to sort of fend for himself and atone for himself, what really, what is he supposed to do? He can't make it up to Jesus. For all he knows, Jesus is about to be uh, hung on a cross and die. I mean, without the resurrection, this really is the last we see of Peter. But that's the point. Like Christianity teaches that 
this whole thing of total depravity, there really is nothing we can do to make it up to a holy God. If our tears could flow forever, and if all we did every day was say, I'm sorry for my sin, over and over, that wouldn't atone for sin, right? Uh, uh, do you remember the old hymn, uh, Rock of Ages? If my tears... Uh, 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 if, if, if my grief no languor no, if my tears could forever flow, these for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. In my hand, no price I bring. Simply to thy cross, I cling. You see, this is it. Christ has, for sinners, full atonement made. So for you and for me, if you are in rock bottom, have been to rock bottom, if you need a wake-up call, a <laughs> literal rooster's wake-up call, if you're, you know, Pastor Linda pointed to this, if you're here and, and you're good to go, that's great, that's gravy. Encourage your brethren, you know. But for those who near, need this good word, uh, uh, you not only get the word, you get this visceral, tangible reminder of his good word that uh, uh, full atonement has been made for sinners. The picture goes like this. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood given for you. He said, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to cling to his cross and cling to his grace alone. I'll pray for us, and while I pray, maybe the ushers can reverently get in place. They know how to get us to the table reverently. But let's just focus our hearts on prayer while they quietly move about. Heavenly Father, thank you for not leaving sincere Christians like Peter to sort of atone for them for their own mistakes and sort of leave them to fend for themselves. Thank you, oh God, that you went all the way to the cross and you bore the wrath of God until you could say it is finished. That There was no more wrath necessary. All the satisfaction had been made. And thank you, O oh God, that you went willingly. You were not forced to go to that cross. You were not put there by Jews or Romans. But that you came to die as a sacrifice of atonement. And we thank you that your death means full payment for our sin. And we thank you that we can trust you. We don't need our swords anymore to lash out at others. We don't need lies anymore to hide. But we can come before you trusting in your complete work. I pray we'd rest in that and we'd enjoy this uh, time of communion with you and with our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. Looks like all has been prepared and so just follow the lead of the ushers. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.